So, uh, what made you think that you could come onto my turf? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably just uh, dumb. I dumb luck. I don't know. That's not a good answer. <laughs> well, I mean, is, isn't there infinite turf? <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. What is, metric is, is the turf measured in? Yeah. Ah, uh, the the kind of answers that you'll only get from mathematicians. This is Relatively Prime, podcasts from the mathematical domain. I am Samuel Hansen, the godfather of American mathematical podcasting. Those voices you just heard were Evelyn Lamb and Kevin Knudsen, the hosts of the new mathematical podcast, My Favorite Theorem. You may also recognize Evelyn as the wonderful writer of the Scientific American blog, The Roots of Unity, as well as much other amazing mathematical writing. And Kevin as a writer for The Conversation and Forbes. Oh, and uh, being a mathematics professor at the University of Florida. I did eventually calm down about them invading my mathematical podcasting turf, but not before taking... It's stealing. I, I was stealing. I stole an element of their show, which is where they have their guests pair their favorite theorem with something, anything, and, and it's great. And I, I stole this, and I turned it on its head by making them pair our conversation before it even started. I, consummate pairing professionals that they are, they nailed it. And I can say that as someone who was there for the whole conversation and knows what's coming next. It's 8 a.m. where I am. I would recommend your caffeinated beverage of choice. I am drinking oolong tea because that is my caffeinated beverage of choice. I'm also not a morning person. So, yeah, if, if 8 a.m. doesn't seem early to you, then, you know, well, you can just go be smug somewhere else. <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, coffee is pretty canonical for anything mathematics related. You know, that's 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 the old joke. And, and Evelyn and I are both sort of topologically inclined. So, you know, certainly coffee and donuts. I don't know what's oh oh no okay all right look so relatively prime let's 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 play on that let's maybe if someone's listening to this in the evening they could have a nice slice of prime rib and a, a, you know if one likes red wine that's what you would pair with that so we're, we're gonna we're gonna pair the pairing after those answers I couldn't really stay mad at them anymore and so I decided to do a proper interview and and not just troll them for thirty minutes so I started where it seemed reasonable to start. Where did the idea for My Favorite Theorem come from? My wife listens to this podcast that you've probably heard of called My Favorite Murder. Of course, murder and mathematics don't have much to do with each other, but that sort of got me to thinking that because I like communicating about mathematics, I thought, you know, well, okay, what's everybody's favorite theorem? And so I even took the, the first step of, of, of asking somebody if they would be on the show, and then I started to think about the fact that, you know, I'm not that interesting by myself. <laughs> so... So I, I reached out to Evelyn because I've, I've admired her work for a long time. And I, th I thought she would really add a lot, make it better than the sum of the parts in some sense. And so I don't think it took cajoling necessarily, but she had to think about it for a while. In the interest of full disclosure, the pairing idea is all Evelyn. That was her idea. And I think that's the part of the show that's been probably the most wildly popular. Yeah, I actually, in, in my first response email to Kevin, I tried to very gently, like, get him to ask someone else because <laughs> um, I you know as a freelance writer without 
without the same kind of institutional income coming in, uh, it is a little hard for me to take on projects that, that don't have a fair amount of money behind them. But, you know, as I thought about it more, I was like, well, if you want to launch this now, go find someone else, suggested a, a name or two, then thought about it a little more and, and thought, you know, that, that sounds kind of cool. And then I had the pairing idea. And then I was like, oh, I really hope he hasn't asked someone else. <laughs> yeah, because I actually, several years ago, I think I had seen this like little silly article that was like wine pairings for it was something in science so i don't remember you know like the theory of evolution got a wine pairing uh, this kind of thing and i was like oh wine pairings for famous theorems would be really funny but you know i i actually get a little bit you know the the alcohol thing like i live in a state where like not a lot of people drink so maybe i'm a little more conscious of this also you know i have some friends and family who are alcoholics and and just like have you know it feel a little weird about things that promote alcohol so i wanted to, to open up the pairing thing a little more and then it was like ah, it's not as catchy for an article but then when kevin suggested this podcast i was like oh this would be really cool ask people to pair their theorem with something and it could be alcohol but it could also be any other kind of things so i live in utah in case sorry i don't remember if i actually said utah utah doesn't have as many drinkers as many states the pairing idea really does elevate the show. It's fascinating listening to people suggest what they think would go best with their favorite mathematics. And according to Kevin, what they've shared so far only begins to scratch the surface of the possibility of pairing. Well, actually, an upcoming episode, I think it's, it's, it might be my favorite. It's certainly one of my favorites. The pairing is rather personal for that mathematician. And we talk a lot about this person's experience as a mathematician and, and, you know, feelings of doubt and, and wondering, you know, am I good enough to do this? Should I keep doing that? And so I, I don't know about you, Evelyn. I think that still might be my favorite one. Yeah, um, that one yeah. is a really cool one. <laughs> yeah. And that's upcoming, but we don't want to, we don't want to give away names yet. Of course, the pairings only work because they're being paired with the guest's favorite theorems. One thing about those theorems that I really wondered about was how Evelyn and Kevin dealt with this broad range of mathematics that the guest theorems come from, some of which they do know very, very well, and some of which is as foreign to them as the Lebesgue measure would be to a barista. Amy Wilkinson talked about the fundamental theorem of calculus. You know, once you've studied enough math, you know the fundamental theorem. But that was a really free-ranging conversation where we got into the mean value theorem, because I, I, I think the mean value theorem is the real fundamental theorem. Right. <laughs> At least for, for single variable calculus, you know, once, yeah. uh, you know, w once you get beyond that, I mean, the, the, the analogy starts to, to wear out and, and Jordan with Fermat's little theorem or just, just, just the one case, but the way he explained that was fantastic because he came at it from Pascal's triangle point of view. And then also talking about hypercubes. And one cool thing after that was uh, a high school teacher down in, in South Florida tweeted to us about it saying, hey, I use this in my class and my students proved this business about Pascal's triangle and all this stuff. And th that's been really great. The one I was mentioning earlier with, with that sort of became was sort of more personal for that mathematician. I mean, I sort of knew what the theorem was about. And she even told us in advance. Uh, and, and I was still thinking, oh, man, this is this is a pretty this is a pretty tough theorem, but it still works somehow. Yeah, because the ones that we're more familiar with we can we can talk about them in some uh, certain ways, but ones that we aren't, you know, we get we ha ask different questions. So there's an episode coming up. Prob I think it's coming up in January. We re record a bit 
out in advance. Um, yeah, that one, he really wanted it to be a surprise for us. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to kind of get our live real time reaction. So that was fun to, you know, the kind of questions that we ask, or at least I think it was fun to kind of explore this new idea live, a little stressful, I guess, like if, if I ask a silly question, what happens? But it turns, you know, in math, it's okay to ask a silly question, especially when you're first seeing something. So yeah, quite often we learn something. Mm -hmm. and, and I think our philosophy is just, well, look, you've got three smart people having a conversation. And we might not know the theorem, but we can understand it probably well enough and, and, and on the fly figure out good questions. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know. We, yeah. That's what we try. Yeah. I mean, I would say that everything that we've done so far has been at least not so far away from what Evelyn and I are sort of experts on. I'm a little concerned about maybe getting more into, you know, having more applied mathematicians on, then it might get a little weird. Yeah, well, I mean, we're trying to not just ask people that we already know, but I'm trying to kind of be a little far out in my network and asking people that maybe are, whose math is not quite as related to my own. Um, but yeah, I think that's one thing that as we ask more guests, we'd like to work on making sure it's not just friends of a friend, but go a little further out in that. And especially applied math is something we haven't really gotten to on this podcast. I mean, applied mathematicians might still pick pure math theorems. Like, I don't know. But yeah, like talking with applied math mathematicians would be really great. And, you know, get a little more diversity of math subject area. Since I was talking to mathematical podcasters, I had to ask them a question which often haunts me. Wouldn't it be better if we would all just buckle down and do the work, do mathematics? Thankfully, and rather unsurprisingly, as they are mathematical podcasters, they answered no. Mathematics communication is important. And one of the reasons that they listed really, really resonated with me. So I, I like this idea of, of the audio format. You know, what's clear from we're having this conversation, we're, we're normal people, right? We're, we're not freaks. Everybody thinks mathematicians are a bunch, of, <laughs> a bunch of freaks who have no personalities. And hey, there are certainly plenty of those out there, but th th that's true of any discipline. I, th I, I think that the more people can see that, you know, we, we, we love this stuff and we think it's cool, but we, we also are interested in other things, um, then, then the better off it is. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of my goals with this podcast is to, you know, get mathematicians talking in a personal way and get people listening to mathematicians who are talking about how this affects them emotionally or, or how this, like how aesthetically they really enjoy this or how they uh, find a particular proof beautiful or a particular theorem useful. And also just the different kinds of people who do this, you know, we're getting a, a diverse, we're, we're trying to make our, our guests more diverse, you know, inviting, you know, a lot of people living in different places from different places in different fields of math. You know, everyone kind of approaches it a little differently and to hear that range of the different ways there are to be a mathematician, I think is one of my goals with this is to show that it isn't one particular type of brain that likes this. It's a lot of different people. Now, how about we get an example of one of the types of brains that love mathematics by checking out episode three of Evelyn and Kevin's podcast, My Favorite Theorem. Oh, yeah, I didn't mention that they were awesome enough to let me share a whole episode of their show, did I? Well, they did. And here it is. 
Welcome to My Favorite Theorem. I'm one of your hosts, Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer currently based in Paris, and this is my co-host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knutson, professor of mathematics at the University of Very, Very Hot, Florida. <laughs> yeah, not, not so bad in Paris yet. Uh, it's going to be 96 so, or tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So on each episode, we invite a mathematician to come on and tell us about their favorite theorem. And today we're delighted to welcome Emile Davy Lawrence to the show. Hi, Emile. Hello, Evelyn. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. So I am a term assistant professor at the University of San Francisco. I'm in the math and statistics department. Um, I've been here since 2011, so I guess that's six years now. Um, I love the city of San Francisco. I have two children, ages two and almost four. Who are um, adorable if your face oh. is anything. <laughs> Thank you so much. You'll get no arguments from me. Um, and yeah, so been doing math for quite a while now. I'm a topologist. Um, my mathematical interests have always been in topology, um, but they've sort of evolved within topology. Um, I started doing break groups. Um, and right now I'm sort of thinking about spatial graphs a lot. So um, oh, all cool. sort of low dimensional topology uh, ideas. Very cool. cool. So what is your favorite theorem? So my favorite theorem is the classification theorem for compact surfaces. Um, it basically says that no matter how weird the surface you think you have on your hands, if it's a compact surface, it's only one of a few things. It's either a sphere or the connected sum of a bunch of tori or the connected sum of a bunch of projective planes. Um, and so, that's, that's it. Okay. And can you... Uh, Tell us a little bit more about what projective planes are. Right. So um, obviously a sphere, well, I don't know how obvious, um, but a sphere <laughs> is like the surface of a ball. Um, and a torus is, looks like the surface of a donut. Um, and a projective plane is a little bit stranger. Um, I think anyone who would be listening may have run into a Mobius band at some point. Um, basically, just if you take a strip of paper and glue the two ends of your strip together with a half twist, this is a Mobius band. It's a non-orientable surface. Um, I think sometimes like kids do this or, or um, you know, they, they pop up in, in different um, contexts. Um, but one way to describe a projective plane is to take a Mobius band and add a disc to the Mobius band and it gives you sort of this uh, compact surface without boundary because you've identified the boundary of the circle of the Mobius band to the boundary of the disc. Right. Um, okay. So now you've got this non-orientable um, thing. It's called a projective <laughs> plane. Uh, another way of thinking about a projective plane is to take a disc and glue um one half of the boundary to the other half of the boundary in opposite directions. It's a really weird little surface. Yeah, one of those things we can't visualize in three dimensions, unfortunately. 
Right, right. And it's actually hard to explain. I don't think I've ever tried to explain it without drawing a picture. Right. That's where the blackboard comes in handy. <laughs> yep. 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 Limitations yep. of audio. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever actually tried to make a projective plane with paper or cloth or anything? Huh. I am going to disappoint you there. I have <laughs> not. Um, the Mobius bands are easy to make. Um, all you need is a piece of paper and one little strip of tape. Um, but I haven't. Have you, Evelyn? I have seen these at um, like the joint meetings. I think somebody brought uh, this one that they had made. Um, and I, I haven't really tried. I'd imagine if you tried with paper, it would probably just be a crumpled mess. Right, yeah. Um, but this one, I think, was with fabric and a bunch of zippers and, and stuff. And it seemed pretty oh. cool. I'm, I'm blanking now on who it was um, who, uh, who made it. But that, that sounds yeah, like something, it was pretty um, cool. Maybe Sarah Marie Belcastro. That sounds like something she would do. It, it might have been. It might have been someone else. But there are lots of cool people doing cool things with that but i i should get one my for myself yeah 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 i i can see cloth and zippers working out a lot better than um a piece of paper it would yeah. <laughs> okay so back to the theorem um do you know what what makes you love this theorem yeah um I think just the fact that it is like a complete classification of all compact surfaces, um, it's really beautiful. Surfaces can get weird, right? Um, and no matter what you have on your hands, you know that it's somewhere on this list. And yeah. that makes a person like me who likes order um, very happy. Um, so yeah, and and I also like, teaching about it um in a topology class i've only taught undergraduate topology a few times um but the last time was oh last spring a year ago spring of 2016 um and the students seem to really love it um so you can play these sort of what surface am i games so um part of the proof of the theorem is that you can triangulate any compact surface and cut it open and lay it flat. So basically uh, any surface has a, a polygonal representation where you're just some polygon in the plane with edges identified in pairs. So I like to um, have like this game in my class where I just draw a polygon and I identify some of the edges in pairs and I say, okay, what surface is this? And they kind of get into it, you know, because they know what the answers, what the possibilities are for the answers. And yeah, you can sort of just um, triangulate it and find the Euler characteristics, see if you can find a Mobius band, and then you're off to the races. That's great. Um, and yeah, you know, I taught, our, I, taught, I taught the graduate uh, topology course here at Florida this past year, and I'm ashamed to admit I didn't actually prove the classification. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, right, no, you should not be ashamed to admit that, because it's <laughs> something that I totally kind of, it's, it's something at an, an undergraduate level you sort of get to at the end, mm -hmm. I guess, depending on how you structure things, and mm -hmm. we, t we did get, um, we did get to it at the end of the course, so I don't know how rigorously um, I proved it for them, um, because there's, there's the, the, the combinatorial step 
that goes from, you know, you can take this polygonal representation and uh, put it in this sort of normal form always. That's, that's, um, that takes a lot of, of work and time. So. Yeah. There are delicacies in there that you don't really know about until you try to teach it. I, I taught it also in the class a couple of years ago. And when we got there, I was like, this seemed, this seemed like a, a little easier when I yes. saw it as a student. And now that I was trying to teach it, it seemed a little harder. Like, oh, there are all of these T's I have to cross and I's right. I have to dot. Well, that's always the right. way, right? Yeah. Right. So right. I, actually, I just, I assigned uh, as a homework assignment that my students should just compute the homology of these surfaces even, and even puncture them, you know, genus G, R punctures. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Just as a homework exercise, but I, you know, and so from there you can sort of see that, you know, homology tells you that you can't have, the the genus defines, you know, classifies things at least up to homotopy right. variants. But how right. do you, I don't know, this combinatorial business is tricky. That's hard stuff. It really, is. yeah, it is. It is. Was this a love at first sight kind of theorem, or is this a theorem that's grown on you? I have to say, it's grown on me. It, 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 you know, I, I probably saw it, um, my first year of graduate school and like all of topology, um, I didn't love it at first when I <laughs> saw it as a first year graduate student, I did not see any topology as an undergrad. I went to a small, um, a sort of liberal arts college that didn't have it, um, so, yeah, I have matured in my appreciation for the classification theorem of surfaces. Um, it's definitely something that, that I love now. Yeah. 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 Well, you're talking to a couple of topologists, so you don't really have to, to convince us very much. Uh, <laughs> right. And actually, I, I had a professor as an undergrad who always said, you know, topology is analysis done right. <laughs> I, know I, I like just, that. I know I just infuriated all the analysts who were listening, but um, but I, I always took that to heart because I always felt that way too. All those epsilons and deltas, who wants all that? You know, who needs it? Draw me a picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was so surprised in the first uh, I guess advanced calculus class I had that did you know a, a broader approach to calculus, and I learned that all of these open sets and closed sets and things actually had to do with topology, not with mm -hmm. not all, not necessarily with epsilons and deltas so that mm -hmm. was really a revelation right so you're interested in braids too or you were have you moved on um i i, I would say i'm still interested in braids although that is not the focus of my research right now so well, those are hard um, questions too i mean uh just just so much interesting combinatorics there that's right that's right and i think that was sort of what made me like Break groups in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, just, I thought it was really neat that a group could have that sort of geometric representation. I mm -hmm. I had never, you know, groups. I don't know. I mean, when you learn about groups, you do. I guess the symmetric group is one of the first groups that you learn about. But then it starts to sort of wander off into abstract land. And break groups really appealed to me. Just my sense of um, I don't know, just the fact that I liked learning visually. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And of course, it's not quite as in the clouds as some abstract. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, yeah. they're tied up with surfaces, right? Because braid groups are just the mapping class group of a punctured disk. So there you go. 
So, there you go. And, and Evelyn, being the, the local Teichmuller theorist, can tell us all about uh, uh, the mapping class groups on surfaces, right? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, we're, we're getting we're getting way too far from uh, uh, from, from the, the classification. I, you're right. You're right. This, this is my fault. I like to I like to go off on tangents. My, my, my <laughs> Let's bad. reel it back in. Let's reel it back in. Yep. My bad. Well, so so you mentioned that. Um, you've kind of matured into this, uh, you know, a pre true appreciation of this lovely theorem, um, which kind of brings me to the, the next part of the show. So in the best things in life are better together. So can you recommend a pairing for your theorem? Um, this could be a, a fine wine or a flavor of ice cream or a favorite piece of music or art that you think really enhances the beauty of the, this classification theorem? Well, I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to say coffee and donuts as <laughs> would like, I, I really tried to say something else, but I couldn't make myself do it. A donut and a cup of coffee goes great with the classification of compact surfaces theorem. But like San, That's Fr fair. San Francisco coffee, right? Like really good, oh, yeah. dark, Maybe maybe walk down to Blue Bottle and 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 stand in line for a while and get there. A cup you there. go. That's Vietnamese coffee in there. Oh cup. yeah, there you go. Right, that's good. Yeah. Is is there a particular uh, flavor of donut that you recommend? Well, you know the maple bacon. Mm. I mean, who can say no to bacon on a donut? <laughs> or on anything for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, or on anything. Yeah. So. So that's just a genus one surface, though. So I mean, can, can we get higher genus? In, in, in have, have we seen these anywhere? Is it always just genus one? There are some like uh, twisted little pastry type things. I'm wondering if there's some higher genus donuts out there. If nothing else, there's yeah, a little bit of Dane twisting going on with that. Definitely. Twisting, yeah, yeah. There's definitely some twisting. Um, Guess we could move all the way over into pretzels, but that doesn't quite go as well with a cup of coffee, right? Or if you're in San Francisco, you could you could get one of these cronuts that have been all the rage lately. Yeah, what is a cronut? I have not quite understood this concept. It is a cross between a croissant and a donut, and it's a it's sort of it's flakier than your average donut, but it is quite good. And um, you, if you want one, you're probably gonna have to stand online for about an hour to get one coming really? out of the, the right. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. You know, I'm not, maybe the, the rage has died down by now, maybe. Um, but at least that was what's, what's, that was happening um, when they first were introduced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess I'm a little scared of the Krona. That sounds intense, but also intriguing. You got to try everything once, Evelyn. Live on the edge. <laughs> I don't the know, edge of the Krona. Evelyn, the edge you, of pastries. You're in Paris. We're not too concerned about your uh, your ability to get good oh, pastries. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have been putting away some butter. Yeah. <laughs> the French have oh. it right. They understand that butter does the heavy lifting. Right. 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 Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It would yes. probably be a sin to have a cronut in, in Paris. They probably, probably but if, if they made them, if they made one, it would be the best cronut that existed. That's Absolutely. probably true. Absolutely. Well, I think this has been fun. Um, anything else you want to add about your favorite theorem? Um, you know, it's 
it's a theorem that everyone should dig into, even if you aren't into topology. I think it's it's an important and one of those foundational theorems that um, everyone should see at least once and look at the proof at least once. Um, just 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 for a well-rounded mathematical education. Maybe I should look at the proof sometime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much for joining us, Emil. We really enjoyed having you. Um, and this has been my favorite theorem. Thank you so much. That was so good, right? Like, I wish that I was that good on my third ever mathematical podcast. And the pairing? Who would ever turn down coffee and donuts? Even if I do have to disagree with Kevin and suggest a very nice single-origin espresso from Four Barrel, uh, perhaps an Ethiopian or a Colombian, instead of going to Blue Bottle. Oh, just sent. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. My hipster is showing. I'm so sorry. That won't happen again. Now that you've heard an episode of My Favorite Theorem, I know that you are just chomping at the bit to go subscribe to their show, which... You definitely should, as they already have enough episodes to reach well into next year with their current every three-week schedule. And if you aren't sold yet, I know that you will be after hearing about a couple of their upcoming guests. One I'm excited about is coming up, I think, early 2018. And this person is also a DJ. Yeah, uh, that, that's what I was thinking about, too. Yeah, pair, pairs his theorem with some music that is pretty fun and, and has us listen. We, we arranged it so we could uh, all be listening to the music at the same time, even though we record over headphones. And, and so we, we all are, are listening to this and kind of talking about how the music relates to his theorem there. So I thought that was a pretty fun one. Yeah. And we do have one pretty big name coming up, right? Yeah. We're, I'm sure we're thinking of the same person. Um, yeah, it, it was very fun to get her to uh, do the pairing. I think she was, you know, a little unsure of what I meant by this pairing thing at first, but really came through with it. Hey, well, Evelyn and Kevin, thank you so much for giving me your time. And I love the show. I mean, I, I might make some jokes about you butting into my turf, uh, which is <laughs> my turf. And I... And I, as the uh, godfather of American mathematical podcast, should have been asked, but I forgive you. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not going to get dragged into this whole this whole wrong but useful who has the best show thing that they have going on. So uh, thank you both very much for coming on the show, and I hope everyone goes out immediately and subscribes and rates and reviews and uh, you know pushes your ranking above my show for a while. <laughs> yes, that's our goal. No, <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having us. This was really fun. I'm thanks glad I got up early anyway. Yeah, thanks, oh, Samuel. Oh, yes, thank you so much for waking up early. Yeah. <laughs> that is all the time we have for this episode of Relatively Prime. I want to thank my guests, Evelyn Lamb and Kevin Knudsen, whom you can find on Twitter as at Evelyn Lamb and at Novek Nas Dunk, which is Kevin backwards and then Knudsen backwards, which really is a great Twitter name. And to find out more about My Favorite Theorem, you can head on over to kpknudsen.com or Evelyn's Roots of Unity blog. And of course, I will include links to all of that in the show notes for this week's episode at relprime.com. Relatively Prime is brought to you by its amazing patrons on Patreon. If you want to support the show like Andy Pearson, Jacob Haller, and Alana Vashishin, I'm so sorry about that pronunciation. I'm really sorry please head over 
to patreon.com slash relprime or go to relprime.com and click on the support button. If you do, you get access to a few things that I really, really loved from this conversation that I had with Evelyn and Kevin, but I just could not find a place to fit it in the episode. So really, if you want to hear those really cool things, you have to support through Patreon. The music from this episode is from Super Milk, whom y'all can find over at SoundCloud or in the show notes, which is realprime.com for just one last time. And if you have any feedback for me or you just want to say hi, you can reach out by sending me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. And if y'all could please leave a review in Apple Podcasts, I would be the happiest mathematical podcaster around. Reviews really help bump up the show in the Apple rankings, which are the best way for other people to find the show and get listening to some wonderful mathematical content. Finally, Evelyn and Kevin retain all the rights to the episode of My Favorite Theorem that they were kind enough to let me share in this podcast. But the rest of Relatively Prime is licensed with the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. So please feel free to remix my voice to say whatever you would like. And if you do, please send it to me. I'd probably put it at the end of the credits. As long as you say that those words originally came from Relatively Prime. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, no matter what, have a mathrific week. <laughs>